0: That you, very, uh, you intentionally wore that shirt—that's <laughs> yeah. that's why I was cracking up when I was talking about the TV. You were talking about 45 inches. That's what I started laughing about. I was like, oh, "You got the Beetle, you got the cool Beetlejuice stripes, but then you have that—that <laughs> that across the. Chest. I mean, you that's know, I got to dress for the occasion, man. Of course, of course, dude. Oh my gosh! But just the context is perfect for it. Unholy. That's so funny.
1: I did want to speak a little bit on just let's let's call it. Roads less traveled. I just wanted to see if uh you might have any any stories yourself. Like for me, the biggest thing I can think of, the biggest example I guess of a road less traveled is I've mentioned it multiple times. I'm not I'm not like ashamed of it and I'm not embarrassed to mention it or anything, but I've never finished high school. I never got my high school diploma. I don't know. I was just like in a bad spot mentally at that time. Um I was going through a lot of shit. Mm -hmm. I was really depressed and School was basically just the least of my worries at that time. I know a lot of people are like, you got to think ahead. You got to think about how this is going to affect your future. And I'm just like, at that time, I wasn't really expecting myself to make it to 18. So I wasn't really too worried about it. So I just decided, yep, I didn't want to do this anymore. Dropped out. You were 17, 18 at this point? Yeah, probably like 16, 17, I would say. So I think it's like junior year. I would have graduated in 07. So I went to the San Bernardino Adult School, uh, got my GED, and that made it a lot easier to get a job because I was more focused on just wanting to get a job and make
0: money rather than get an education at that time. So yeah, that's pretty heavy. Um, it's tough in, in high school as well to just, uh, there's a lot of influences and hormones and all that stuff too. and But a GED is respectable and uh, I know people who, you know, have done well for themselves with the GED and are making like six figures now. So Damn. you know, it just it it's uh it's all it's all, you know, in, in your head. It's, it just depends on what you want to do with it.
1: I mean, I'm I'm sure the audience members have have uh, noticed how I introduce you several times and I always introduce you as verbatim, a man of many trades. that's rooted in some reality because you've told me that you've had so many jobs and you've you've worked in a lot of different places i mean i feel like every time we record you mention like a new place that you've worked
0: (laughs) (laughs) working at apple it's it does come up I, I, i bring it up i brought it up in the past at least but i would say it wasn't i mean the products sell themselves really it's not like a very hard job in terms of you know helping people to decide what kind of computer or iphone or... Yeah. i got to engage with so many different people granted it was again over these products that they pretty much already knew what they wanted and i kind of just helped guide them a little bit uh based on their needs but aside from that you know then we're just kind of shooting the shit, um in person and uh and it was then that i got to really know them and they got to know me a little better too, you, you know
1: so... what's funny about that is i think it was a way of bridging to your actual passion which was like people learning different ways that people think and so i mean that was like perfect for you because you were just you're encountering a wide variety of of people like that that are all drawn to this product so they're all they're all just drawn to the central location and you get to you get to just kind of pick their brains a little bit and i don't know if this is still a passion of yours because i mean you, you said you studied psychology and um mm-hmm. like I don't know if you you still want to pursue that a little bit later or if you just kind of apply a lot of the principles day to day or to other jobs, but I mean, you've also done video production, you've worked on music. you do some <laughs> photography for this podcast. <laughs> we still need yeah. some some photos for the show <laughs> <That's>,
0: exactly <laughs> I, I, dude I've been trust me, I've been thinking about that I've been I've been looking for, yeah, uh yeah, definitely getting ideas. Did you,
1: out of all that, because you, I know that you wanted to teach also at some point. Um I don't know like what subject matter necessarily you wanted to focus on, but
0: did you ever think you would have ended up in IT of all places? <laughs> uh I, I don't think I did. It was funny, but I remember in high school, that was one thing that, that kept coming up was um so this would have been back in you know uh, the, the early aughts, shall we say, ninety nine, two thousand. Really dating myself here, uh, but they were talking about how technology is just—it's booming. It's always going to be there. This is something that's going to—you're probably going to get a job. I remember hearing that phrase: "You're probably going to get a job in technology. You're going to be using technology no matter what, but you're probably going to get jobs in technology." And I remember just thinking, "That's just so dry," you know. I, I don't know. I'm not. A, I'm not like a i was thinking like silicon chips and things like that and i wasn't really necessarily thinking of the software side of things i guess because when we're when we're that young we don't know what we don't know and we just i just assumed that everybody understood the way that you know you just got oh you just tinker with software and you eventually get to learn it uh, but our parents didn't really know it and now, especially now my parents uh you know they've they slowly but surely have come to learn these things but um Here we were so many years ago, being told this is going to be the future, and so for me to be in technology, while it is in one sense a surprise, on the other hand, it uh, is—it almost seemed like uh, the sound of inevitability.
1: (laughs) 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 Uh, (laughs) Mobbing it. We mobbing it. We mobbing it to Georgetown. We mobbing it to Georgetown. Let's go. How are you doing, everybody? Welcome to Affliction Hour's podcast, episode 29. My name is Eric, and the other voice occupying your head this time is a man of many trades, good friend, colleague, and co-host, Michael. Hello. Thank you to all the listeners out there for joining us. As always, new episodes drop on the first Saturday of each month, 5 a.m. Pacific. We're available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. That also includes YouTube, where you can find us at Autos Podcast. So please give us a like and subscribe. Here on Autos Podcast, we mainly talk about films that range from mind-numbing to mind-blowing. We also cover TV shows and other forms of media, Of course, we will be getting into spoilers here and there will be only the healthiest amount of expletives tossed in, you have been warned. If you ain't ready, then get ready because in this episode, this being one of our spooky episodes, we have a very special topic that we're gonna cover today. We're gonna be discussing the infamous supernatural horror classic, The Exorcist, released in 1973 directed by William Friedkin. I kind of alluded to it before, but you were saying that you never really thought highly of this movie, whereas like my point of view, when I first saw it on VHS, I I will also mention that the version I first saw, uh, I guess, on VHS, as well as for this podcast, was the the version you've never seen, which is actually what it's called. So I guess that's like kind of the extended version, but not really the director's cut. I don't know. There's so many different versions for this movie, but yeah, the version I saw is literally called the version you've never seen.
0: Yeah, I should have texted you. I wasn't sure which one we were seeing. I have seen this one before. I just didn't see that one this time.
1: Gotcha. Okay. So you you watched
0: the original theatrical? I've seen the original theatrical, and then I saw re-released in theaters back in, again, the early aughts, I think it was 02 went to the theaters with my pops and saw the re-release of The Exorcist with missing scenes. Dope. And I okay. think that that's the version that, that you're, is the I think one so that you too. saw. I think so too. So now actually, I'm very curious. That's actually interesting. I'm going to, I definitely have some to see the differences. I want to ask you. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So the
1: notes that I sent to you, um, I think it's going to be for... The version you've never seen so there's probably gonna be parts in there that i'm gonna bring up and you're gonna be like well i don't remember seeing that and that's a different version
0: yeah, yeah yeah okay very cool
1: the exorcist is based on a screenplay by william peter blatty that in turn was also based on his own 1971 novel of the same name mm-hmm. and uh i guess there was also some difficulty casting for this movie as well because um I don't know. I think a lot of people the subject matter. A lot of people just didn't feel comfortable being involved with this movie, so they had to kind of bring in a bunch of relative unknown actors at that time, which wasn't what Warner Brothers initially wanted. But I guess they, once they kind of saw the stuff that they're coming up with, they're like, okay, this is the shit's gold right here. I like this.
0: Yeah, I could see that, man. That's that's something to take into to. I don't know. Something that that just struck me though that people were that afraid to be associated with it that they didn't want to be involved in, in, in any way and that it, it took some some people some brave people or some brazen people to to actually want to star in this because man I, I think it it does so much more good than if it had never been made
1: now you saw a different version from me would you say that the movie held up from what you remember or was it about the same
0: when you say does it hold up do you mean that it's worth watching or like, what What do you mean? Cause I want to answer that. Yeah. Did
1: you, did you actually enjoy it? Did you think it was better than what you remember or worse?
0: I think that it's, I think it's like, how do I put this? Like it's perennial in some ways. It almost feels like the first time, every time. I do wait between viewings. I haven't seen it, and it's been a it's been a year actually. And before then, it was like I don't know five six years. So
1: yeah, same here. Because I mean, I didn't watch the movie until the VHS version you've never seen came out, which I think was like late '90s, maybe two thousand, around that time. So that was pretty far after that movie came out, and has been on video for quite some time. And I remember hearing about The Exorcist growing up, and I'm just like, oh, a lot of people say this is like the scariest movie they've ever seen and (laughs) I was like all in all about it I think I saw it when I was in middle school and I loved it
0: wow that's when everybody was watching it that's at least when everybody was talking about it was in middle school and it was just like this, somebody knew somebody who had a copy of it. Like not every household had a copy of the exorcist in there, you know? Okay. And, uh, so yeah, we had some friends and when we were in like middle school age again, that said, yeah, we have a copy of it. We, <laughs> we just have to wait till like the parents go to sleep and then we'll watch it like late. Cause you almost feel like
1: you're, you're breaking the rules. Like you're doing something illegal or something.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's for, it's verboten, you mm-hmm. know, you're not supposed to, Ooh. I mean,
1: you know, a lot of people probably think it's sacrilege even like this movie should not exist.
0: And I guess that's that's why my comment before I said it's done more good than if it had never been made mm. if people want to go with sacrilege if people are are, are saying that, that that it should not have been made or that it was you know that it' scandals for XYZ reason I don't know if
1: you've ever heard of this
0: term, but um, when
1: I was researching the movie for the podcast, I found out that The Exorcist was the first time a major motion picture had been released through something called the four wall distribution which is a Hmm. process where a studio or distributor rents movie theaters for a period of time and receives all box office revenue. What I think the reviews were kind of mixed to on a mediocre for this movie. A lot of people are trashing it, you know, saying like, Mm -hmm. Oh, this movie is, it's just like a gore fest and it's not it doesn't have anything of substance but i think warner brothers was trying to capitalize on the zeitgeist because there was a lot of hype for it so even though the reviews weren't that great there was still a ton of hype for it and i think there was a lot of word of mouth and just a lot of morbid curiosity kind of like me right like a lot of people are like i want to see how freaky this thing is because people are talking about fainting they're vomiting (laughs) right like they're it's true you are crying
0: yeah. (laughs) yeah yeah And you're wondering, wow, what is it doing? What, how is it getting that out of them? I think they're they're kind of doing
1: the same thing that a lot of kids these days do is they can't purchase an R-rated ticket, so they just kind of sneak into it. You know, they like movie hop into uh, it. So I think a yeah, lot of teenagers yeah. were trying to like sneak in and and watch it. And
0: right, yeah, that, uh, but that's who were those are the people who were really talking about it were the teenagers. It's like a rite of passage is to watch The Exorcist. Like there's before and then there's after, and you're kind of. <laughs> You're definitely a little more messed up because you've seen some shit that you didn't know you could see in a movie. Did you
1: also hear about how there was supposedly some sort of dark aura or whatever about this movie, the the making of this movie? Almost like a curse, I guess you could say, because production took twice as long and cost almost three times the initial budget with the project experiencing many difficulties leading to a belief that the film was cursed from the start. Huh? It was almost like bad publicity, but it was helping the movie. Right. I think that just made people more curious about it.
0: Yeah, that struck that more morbid curiosity chord Mm -hmm. for sure.
1: Some notable issues, but not limited to a bird apparently flew into a circuit breaker on one of the house sets and caused a a big fire to break out and burnt down like most of their set. So it's like a freak accident, right? um linda blair the little girl she injured her back after not being properly secured to some of the equipment during like the bed shaking scenes i think she like bruised or like broke her tailbone or something like that
0: and oh my so gosh. yeah she
1: still kind of like deals with that even to this day as an adult wow wow i guess unsafe practices going on with this movie i mean everyone's getting fucked up
0: i know yeah yeah sounds like they they needed some more checks and balances in there like hey pay attention to uh securing this child and you know having i don't know some certain standards
1: (laughs) yeah i know (laughs) seriously sheesh, poor kid so the version i saw i i bought it on voodoo and uh like i mentioned before i saw the version you've never seen so if there are some parts that uh you don't remember in your version let me know i won't stay too long on those but i think for the most part the major scenes are in both versions
0: right yeah, the ma- major scenes. Mm-hmm. I think there are some that can add more texture. And again, the only, there's only one scene I can think of off the top of my head, which is why I'm kind of curious when you go through your synopsis, if if there, those little pieces will fill in uh, some blank areas for me where I have I have questions about certain things. So the opening, I guess it's a prologue of sorts, it starts in Northern Iraq, and
1: a Catholic priest and archaeologist, apparently, Father Lancaster <laughs> Marin, played by Max von Sydow, is shown an unearthed medallion of Saint Joseph, as well as an artifact representing some ancient demon that we we don't quite know what it is yet, but it looks like some sort of like dragon face looking thing. We also see that uh, Marin, he's, he's older, he's an old guy. And uh, he's in a bit of a fragile state of health. He has to periodically take these pills. I don't know if they ever say what he has or what those pills are, but apparently that makes him feel better. If you're in that state, would you really be out there in like hundred plus degree weather digging around the dirt?
0: Uh, no, I would not. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, why is this guy? Why is this Catholic priest even doing this? Like, no, they should be aren't they're supposed to be doing like you know mass or whatever? Unless he's on some sort of sabbatical or I don't know mm. what. But I'm like. um, why? Why are you not doing normal priest stuff? Maybe, maybe he's like a uh, he's a lone wolf priest. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. No, I, you know what? I could th- I could think of it being like he's a professor. There are some there are some that are like professors and stuff. And I guess he could be doing research. And so I could see how that might be what plays into it um, for some sort of research purposes. Or sure, sure. But other than that, I'm kind of like um, yeah. I was a little bit puzzled. I I wasn't like mad. I was just kind of like i um, very curious, like why, what, what, I wonder what the book says. I kept thinking to myself, I wonder what the book says about why he's out there. Mm. Why is he out there? I'm, I'm not quite sure how that works. You might be able to, to shed more light on
1: it, but are you allowed to like still be part of the church, but also like have like a full-time profession or are you supposed to just be working in and of the church at all times? Yeah.
0: It's, it's typically that way. The latter you would just, right. You would just be, um focusing on being a you know a shepherd to the flock shall we say so that's your that's your primary job sure, but i could yeah. see if this guy was uh, if this particular priest was say had some sort of special job which you find out he is an exorcist so because he's an exorcist he um
1: he's been through some shit he's been through <laughs> some
0: shit no but but um as an exorcist. Yeah, so it's a very special, very niche job. I'm wondering if yeah, he needed to do some sort of research, maybe he works out of the Vatican or something like that. Um, or he could be like, what's called a religious where uh, I know certain religious orders like Dominicans or Franciscans or whatever. Dominicans in particular, they they study. So they study, they do a lot of research
1: in exorcisms, specifically, or? It just
0: it, not necessarily in exorcisms, just generally speaking, whatever particular field that they may be interested in, they can pursue. Okay. Um, and then uh and just get really learned in that area uh whatever that may be so it could be that his area was in those kinds of in in the occult um and in exorcisms itself it's almost like it's a it's it's more of a curse sort of thing than a blessing interesting okay because not every not every priest is capable of um performing exorcisms i mean they have the power too, but not everybody has what's the you know what we would call a charism they don't have that um the resolve even not so much the resolve but the, the actual like natural ability to see that kind of element and to be able to to speak to that element because it could just it could just might not might not be in you to be as a human being to be faced with something very serious like that where you know the the rest of the world may never see something like this occur kind of getting into why this movie is such a draw it deals with elements of being a human being that we still don't understand. We still don't know why these kinds of things are capable of happening. It's inexplicable. Mm-hmm. This mystery of why this child suddenly has superhuman strength. And hearing modern science try to explain it away as these other scientists, she's just throwing everything that seems to make sense. And you can't, you, it's funny, cause you're like, why not talk to the priest? Cause it's kind of juxtaposing. It's going from one scene with her to then the, 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 the life of this priest. And then, you know, kind of how their worlds clash like a, like a big, like two waves, just oh yeah.
1: I I think it's kind of interesting too, because she, the mom, you know, she is pretty wealthy. She is an actress and she has the means to be able to hire these professionals and do all these fancy tests that would be extremely expensive for most people. If it was, let's say someone that's like Lower middle class, or something, and they didn't really have, or maybe uh, an impoverished family, and they didn't have very many options. They couldn't go to these medical professionals. They may have gone to a priest first,
0: you know. That's Who knows? exactly, yep, same exactly. That's what I was thinking. That's exactly. <laughs> uh huh. They'll be more apt to just go there, yeah. So it's it, you kind of use what what tools are
1: at your disposal, and if you, and what resources you know, and if you don't have any resources, that's kind of like a, a resource that is always there for you and you know it's supposed to be welcoming to all people
0: right and but i think that i think you bring up a good point there though that you know um it's a resource that's available to everybody but um to really show the audience who might be more skeptical of this situation I, i think it's it's they they show like hey look if you if you had if you even had the money to do all this stuff (laughs) would you not be convinced would you not be convinced like the mom who's at her fucking wits end imagine being in her situation where she's her daughter's suffering and this shit's just happening and nobody seems to be able to explain what's going on like you've tried everything that modern science is capable of doing to help your your child and now you're just like you're just hoping you're just hoping that one of these things that that these doctors are throwing out there as an idea of what might solve the problem. They don't really understand the cause. They don't, they don't understand it, no. the source of the problem and not knowing the source of the problem. You can't treat it. You're just treating symptoms. You're not actually going to cure the patient. That's the irony of it is that someone's first
1: option is their last option. <laughs> exactly. Like She That's has true. nothing else. <laughs> so she has to resort to this. Right. But to uh, close out the, the prologue, Father Marin later visits another archaeological site where he matches that artifact design to a, a large demon statue, I guess known as Pazuzu. I don't know if they ever mentioned that in the movie, but from my understanding, I think he gets that name in the sequels, Pazuzu, because I think that's
0: oh. that's like
1: the overarching I don't know storyline.
0: Is always with this one. Yeah, that makes sense. Now we uh, find
1: ourselves in Washington, D.C., in the neighborhood of Georgetown, where a well-known actress, Chris McNeil, played by Ellen Burstyn, is starring in a film directed by Burke Dennings, played by Jack McGowan. I guess that's how it's spelled, McGowan. Shout out to Ellen Burstyn for being in some of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, Of course, Exorcist. I freaking love this movie. I consider Mm. it one of the best horror movies I've ever seen. And I love horror movies. Um, She's also in Requiem for a Dream. Oh my gosh. Has that feud with the refrigerator.
0: Yes, of course. Wow. And then let's not forget Interstellar. (laughs) Yes, of course. Yes, yes. You see, it's funny because until you. Ah, it's funny. I didn't see it, but now I see it so clearly. Oh, yeah. Wow. Wow. Great movies.
1: I, I got to talk a little bit about the house. So Chris rents a well-appointed house near the location of the shoot, And uh, along with her daughter, I don't know, if, I don't know how they pronounce it. I, I thought they pronounced it Reagan.
0: Yeah, I think so too.
1: Reagan is played by Linda Blair. Along with her daughter, they have some family servants. I think an, an assistant as well. She mm-hmm. has a lot of people in the house. And man, this I freaking love this house. This house is it's just so identifiable, you know, like when you see it, you're like, with the with the staircase, that's like right next to it, you know, that like narrow staircase, Uh the exorcist house, along with what they call the exorcist steps were actually filmed in Georgetown, Washington, DC. And the house looks a bit different today, but is actually still there, You can go up and take photos of it and everything. Uh, I wonder who actually lives there, though, and like takes care of it. But only the big difference being is that there's kind of like a piece that stuck out from the main structure of the house i guess they call it the annex that piece was removed quite a few years ago and that's where reagan's bedroom would have been because it's the part that sticks out from the main structure would have been closer to the stairs and it would have been overlooking the stairs so that would have been basically reagan's bedroom window
0: Mm, okay
1: i don't know if they did that because they felt it was cursed or what, but yeah, they got rid of that. And so now it just looks like a little bit of a smaller version of that same house.
0: Mm, Okay. Yeah. Wow. What a shame, but also maybe for the
1: best. (laughs) Maybe. Yeah. And then we are also introduced to another principal character, Father Damien Karras, played by Jason Miller, whom is a psychiatrist and counsels Georgetown University priests. So this is another one where you have a priest that's doing like another job. He's a psychiatrist as well, but I mean, he's, he's still serving the church. It seems like, cause he's helping other priests.
0: Yeah. I think that it's, it's interesting. I don't know that I've ever met a, a specifically a priest who was a psychologist before myself, but uh, it, it makes sense that one, one would could specialize in that and help, help out other priests that way.
1: Definitely. Definitely. That makes sense. So uh, Father Karras, it shows him commuting to a sketchy part in New York in order to visit his ailing mother, who's living alone. This is kind of sad, you know, like it obviously Karras is kind of going through his own problems. But I think on top of that, weighing down on him is constantly thinking about his mother, you know, and mm-hmm. how she she's kind of sickly and lives alone, but she's stubborn, you know, it's that generation and she doesn't she doesn't want any help. Like she was just like, no, this is where this is my house. This is where I live and no one's going to force me out of it.
0: And he has to respect that.
1: Yeah. I mean, he does, you know, he, he does what he can. Like he he kind of leaves money for her and you know, he puts a little blanket on her. He stays until she falls asleep and then he leaves, but it's taken a toll on him because he meets up with one of his colleagues later at a bar talking over a pint and he starts admitting that, you know, I think I may have lost my faith and I don't think I'm really suitable to do this anymore. It's kind of um, becoming real for him.
0: Mm hmm. Mm hmm. All of it. Yeah. Struggling.
1: Oh, it's also important to note that Damien's mother calls him by a nickname, D-Me.
0: hmm. Mm hmm.
1: And that will come into play later in the movie.
0: Oh, yeah. Absolutely.
1: Following Chris McNeil. As uh, she's living in her, or she she's renting that house in Georgetown, and she hears a noise in the attic, thinking there might be mice. What's kind of weird is that Reagan says something creepy, and she says she attributes those noises to her imaginary friend Captain Howdy.
0: Mm. So that's already
1: like red flag number one. Hmm. Of course, parents are they just kind of dismiss it and they're like, ah, whatever. She's just being a
0: kid. Yeah, that's right. Had this at this point, she had already introduced Mister Howdy, or. She must have, right? If she had referred to him that way, because then that scene with the Ouija board had happened.
1: Mm-hmm. I think it's around that time because they find it in their basement.
0: Yeah, and she talks about that. That's that's crucial, right there, too. It, um, and and uh, yeah, it becomes like this conduit. It's the thing in in and of itself. I wouldn't say is is harmful. It's the the use it becomes mm-hmm. again a means of. It seems like a harmless game, but it's that morbid curiosity kind of thing where. Sure. It might lead you to do that, and what's happening? You know, it's again, it's that mystery. It's like this. It's almost like you get it out of your system. It's like you watch the hey, don't get a Ouija board. Watch The Exorcist, and you'll see what Ouija boards what can happen with a Ouija board, kind of thing. You know?
1: How do you feel about Ouija boards? Do you feel like you don't mind seeing one, or you're just like hell? No, I'm staying away from that.
0: Yeah, that's me. I'm like hell. No, no, thank you. I don't. That's Brenda too. And Brenda's
1: just like nope. I ain't fucking with no Ouija boards.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, thank you. It's uh Yeah, you just don't know. There's a lot that can't be explained. It's kinda of, it goes back to this thing that the priest says. Uh the, there's, that, there's that guy. So when in the in the prologue, um when the priest goes and he tells this uh this gentleman, it looks like a, a dignitary of some sort, that he's gotta he's gonna go back. He pulls out that that head. That like artifact thing, right? That artifact, right, that the priest had found. He looks at it and he says, Evil for evil. As though it's like trying to fight evil for you know evil with evil mm-hmm. and you could be opening things opening doors you don't really want to have opened
1: that clock in the background just stops and he, he kind of like exactly. looks at it he knows this immediately
0: yeah immediately he's like attuned to different signs and that's one thing that i i took note of as well was just how a man of faith a man who had been so you know um kind of jovial before I, mean, I don't know about jovial but was 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 more spry at least he was av- able to get up and move around no problem but after he sees that the statue he's just so zoned out he almost gets hit by that car he's just completely
1: he's uncomfortable by it
0: yeah there's something there's something that's definitely got his he's, he's very distracted right yeah. he, and he looks frightened like his eyes he's got this mile long stare and for somebody who has Uneasy. been doing this for as long as exactly for someone to be doing this for as long as he's been doing this as an exorcist and dealing with artifacts like this for him to be this scared and this and you look how old he is too i mean again this just shows you like wow he's he's scared and i thought what's the correlation he comes back and did he somehow bring this thing with him from iraq
1: it's interesting to have that prologue there because they could have easily just started in georgetown but they were yeah. in northern Iraq. And so it's kind of like, what's what's the purpose of this? What are they trying to say? And I think you know, you call him an exorcist, but I don't think that's really like his main focus. I think he just happens to have been successful with maybe a handful of exorcisms because how they explain later in the movie that's not like a a common thing anymore almost like an urban legend type of thing at this point because it's like we don't really do that anymore but i don't know it seems like he's done a couple and i wonder if he just has like a a history with this demon and so maybe when he sees it he's like oh fuck, it's happening again
0: oh yeah maybe you're right maybe that's what it is and maybe okay Wow, that's a great explanation. Because I'm wondering if that then go if they go into more detail with the second and third ones, and maybe how this thing has sort of doggedly chased him, the way that it ends up chasing Regan. Regan. Yeah, could be, could or, be. Yeah. Or, right. Like once it gets its hooks in you, even if you escape narrowly, it's still gonna it's still gonna come back for you, kind of thing. Sure. Because
1: I mean that so that demon knows Marin and is kind of threatened by Marin.
0: Yeah, it's wild to think about that. I think that's a conversation we've had before about, about demons. I was explaining to you, you know, angels and demons being non-corporeal. So they don't have physical bodies. We, person- we, we personify them. We use personification or what we anthropomorphize. We, we mm. make them like us with wings on them. But technically speaking, they're non-corporeal. They are pure intelligence. So they don't necessarily have a physical body. They are like spirit, and um, hence why it can just enter into this, uh, into the child. You know, it mm. takes different forms.
1: A good portion of the beginning of the movie is used to at least build up the characters of Chris and Reagan. So, part of that is showing Reagan's relationship with her father. And I don't know if they flat out say what her father and Chris's relationship is, but it seems like they might be divorced or separated or something like that, because remember, she was pretty irate over the phone that Reagan's father forgot to call and speak to her on her birthday. Mm hmm. And so she just chew- whoever is on the phone, she's just chewing her out and saying, like, no, like, this is unacceptable, whatever. Right. So they're they're trying to paint this picture. Um, You know, it's it's like when it shows Chris and Reagan, like having fun playing around joking with each other, like remember when she like chases her around the corner and like tackles her and starts tickling her or whatever.
0: Right, right. She's a sweet girl. They have a very tight relationship. They're very close. They, there's a lot of
1: love there. And yeah, Reagan very much is this this kind hearted sweet little girl. I, I think showing that is important because showing the descent later on is that much more heartbreaking
0: yeah they do a fine job
1: with that i don't know if you noticed this yourself but i think linda blair kind of looks a little bit like a a young jennifer lawrence like i couldn't help thinking that when i was watching the
0: movie (laughs) oh man i have to go back and check that out now i I didn't i I don't know if i can say that i see it it might just be me
1: but yeah not long after um just showing what Reagan is like. Normally she starts to not act like her usual self. We start seeing like some, some odd behavior by her. Uh, one of them, I think she's being tested at the doctor's office and she just kind of blankly staring up at the ceiling and she just gets that flash of like a demon face. Right. Right. So it's starting to make its presence known little by little. What I really love about this movie is the slow development mm-hmm. and like the slow implementation of this demon into this physical realm.
0: Right, right.
1: It does so very
0: gradually. The fact that he comes, what was his name again? Mr. The the demon's name. Pazuzu or oh, Mr. Howdy. Mr. Howdy. That's right. Mr. Howdy. Or Captain Howdy, right? Or Captain. Was it Captain? Captain. Exactly. Yeah, that's right. Captain Howdy. Yeah. Captain Howdy. Dumbass name <laughs> right right it seems so innocuous right it seems so so playful even and i think that that's interesting because this being again a more religious movie it can't i can't help but think of you know in uh in genesis you think of the snake right when when the snake comes to the to eve he comes in and he, and he seems super like you know she's not afraid of him she doesn't seem afraid of him uh and it's more just real real casual just like hey I'm harmless. Like, why can't you eat that fruit of the tree? You know, that kind of thing doesn't come at, it doesn't come at them, like threatening them. Yeah. It comes, it comes to her like a, how like a, like a Captain Howdy, you know, but it needs volition. It needs a f- act of the free will an opening of the door, either physically or in some spiritual way, an opening of a door. The
1: frustrating part that you were, you were mentioning before was that the doctors, they downplay and misdiagnose her even, so they they call her symptoms hyperkinetic behavior. You know, just some sort of generic sounding term to me. <laughs> you know, they tell Chris that Reagan will be fine. Just have her take these pills; she will be all right. Yeah, it's just hyperkinetic <laughs> behavior is all of this is, and and maybe some some teen angst thrown in there.
0: You know, it's funny. Yeah, some teen angst exactly, uh, but it's hyperkinetic behavior if you think about it all it is is saying like like kinetic like moving movement so hyperkinetic is like extra movement all you're saying all you're doing is saying the thing that you're observing you're not actually saying <laughs> what the problem is oh this is just this is just that thing where you know limbs move a lot she's just moving a lot just give her some pills or she'll be fine. She'll it'll slow down. her down it won't be so hyper she'll be sedated she may never be the same again, but that's not what we're after, right? We're just trying to get her to not do the thing that, you know, of being, of bouncing on a bed, you know, and breaking her yeah. tailbone. <laughs> Sheesh. But yeah, hyper. That's just, I think that's just funny that that, that they yeah. they choose that title. Like, yeah, yeah, we're going to call it this thing. <laughs> I mean, you know, who who is
1: Krista to really challenge this? So she goes along with it and gives her the pills, but uh, as we'll soon find out, doesn't really help a whole lot. No. We switch over to Father Karras now. Unfortunately, he gets word that his mother something happened to her, and she was taken to a hospital by his uncle. I guess it was some sort of health emergency. Hmm. I don't know what it was exactly, but I get the sense that maybe it was it was just like dementia taking its toll, and she's not well
0: at this point. It might be that, but she was. He mentioned something about the leg. It could be that it got infected. It could be that mm. it was getting infected because she remember she winces when he's putting the bandage around her leg. He's reapplying the bandage on her leg and she's sure. like wincing. Some sort of
1: compression on her leg, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's like gauze, but um, it could be that that's – because he mentions it when he gets there and that and that friend of his, that other priest is kind of – or I don't know if it was a priest or the doctor was helping him through. Um, he's concerned about her leg. so This was
1: especially sad because the hospital that the uncle takes her to turns out to be some sort of mental hospital instead. I guess this is due to neither the uncle or father Karis being able to really afford like a fancy dedicated hospital. So she's taken here instead, you know, Karis goes to visit her, of course. But uh, it's it's heartbreaking because she's angry with him. You know, she thinks that he was the one that placed her there and betraying her almost. Yeah. Yeah, pretty sad, especially because he's taking the bullet, you know, it's like, I wasn't the one that did this to you. But I think he can kind of understand where his uncle's coming from, because it's like, well, you know, she needed to be helped. And she wasn't
0: getting that at home by herself and he it just makes him feel worse because he's like he's trying his hardest and it's still not good enough cuz he's trying to take care of her after he gets off of work and everything and it's just he's he's burning the candle at both ends and and it's still again not enough that's got a that's got a sting you know and i think it's his uncle or someone else mentions like if you weren't a priest and you were still a psychiatrist you you know you would be the best psychiatrist you'd you'd be like rolling indo
1: yeah His uncle was like, you know what, if he never really got into this whole Catholicism thing, you would be making bank and then she would be living in some penthouse somewhere and she wouldn't have to go through this. So he was just kind of putting all the blame on him, which was fucked up.
0: Yeah, exactly. This is his fault. You know, he's smart enough to be able to do whatever he wants, but, but he's a priest. Yeah. So just like rubbing salt in that wound. And Again, it's people say thing. what people say says so much about them, and that, that uncle feels guilt. And so he's projecting guilt onto his nephew. Yeah. Feeling guilty. So uh-uh, I don't want to deal with that guilt. You're the one who is, should be guilty. You did this to her. You did this to her because you didn't do this far fetched thing that who God knows if it ever would have happened that you'd be this buku rich, whatever. But you know what? You could have been, and that's the point. <laughs> yeah he he already feels like
1: shit because his mother's going through this you know wh-
0: and he had no control over it he's like what why you do this
1: to me d me you yeah, know that whole yeah. thing oh fuck and then now you got like his uncle also compounding on top of that and he just has to just let his steam out you know he lets all his anger out by going to the gym and he's just uh, laying into that punching bag exactly why does he try so hard to look like rocky balboa though they go out of their
0: way to make this this father exactly. really look like Rocky. <laughs> Whoa, tell, tell him, tell calm down, guys, calm down. There's only one Rocky, guys. Come on. No, seriously, it looks like they're trying to capitalize on that moment, which I don't blame them for. Um, and damn, he does a great performance. Hats off to all the uh, all the actors, in fact. But, but man, there's a there's a certain there's a certain heartbrokenness that you that I felt watching his performance. It's just. It's like, he's like a, like a like a caged, you know, mouse or something. I don't know. Do you, do you get that sense too? Like just seeing him, he's just like, when she passes by him, for instance, and he's talking to another priest or standing outside chatting and he's, he's got both arms planted on the guy's shoulders on the sides of his arms, um, just, just below his shoulders. And he just looks so, he has such concern on his face. And she kind of glanced over to see that that's who she was talking to or he, who he was talking to. I think that shows two scenes where she she sees him and then you see what she saw and then goes back and then spends a little bit more time on a close-up with the with Father Damien talking to another priest. Right, and again, right. that, that concern on his face, he really... Um, He's getting beat up on so many fronts. You know his work isn't easy. He's—I don't know if he thinks he's really successful with the people, with the the priests that he's, you know, trying to help, and Mm. he's not really seeing much. And he lives in this really, you know, he lives in basically like a dorm room, right? I mean, kind of like a
1: dorm room on campus. So it's probably free. Like probably by working there, he can he can also stay
0: there. That's it. Yeah. So he's he's there. He's got just a, a tiny room. And then, you know, rinse, repeat, gets to wake up in the morning, go back to doing this job that he doesn't feel like he's doing very good at or it's just a lot of problems and then you know then also the fact that when he's not there then he wants to be there with his mom uh because he loves her so much and wants to make sure she's taken care of so and then still feeling like he's failing her too you see the guilt on his face it's like so palpable just that sadness you know you go to that apartment and she's got this old radio playing and everything and then she is with a bandaged leg and he's just he's just wanting so much better for her So he's just fighting this real uphill battle. So you see from a life, two different lives lived this father, Marin and him.
1: The main focus of this movie is the little girl, right? And like her, her descent, what's going to happen to her. But also at the same time, I really found the side story of what's going on in father Karras' life really intriguing as well. Because he (laughs) he's going to be tasked to deal with this and he's got a f- lot of fucking demons that he needs to deal with on his own yeah as
0: well. exactly exactly the unlikeliest of people to have to face off with that's crazy i think just thinking about that with all the shit that he's also dealing with
1: I-, I loved just switching back and forth between them because their worlds are so separate from each other but yet they're going to be intertwining at some point later on yeah
0: yeah yeah exactly exactly and you just don't know like they're just in different parts along their individual journeys as priests but also as as just straight up human beings and one's at the end of his life the other is like in midlife you know dealing with a midlife crisis it seems as well
1: so now we get to the house party event so a few nights later chris hosts a little party for some of her friends you know kind of a, a little a little fun get together you know, like a little kickback at the,
0: the kickback, a shindig. <laughs> yeah,
1: I don't know if in yours you saw this. I, I heard that this part is a little different. So in mine, Reagan wasn't part of the party. She it just kind of flashes over to her, and she's just sleeping soundly upstairs in her room while there's a, like a little party going on downstairs. Is that what you saw as well?
0: Yeah. What What I see is, um, she checks on. Actually, her mom goes in, checks on her asks if she's awake she's in her full gown and everything and she goes and asks if she's awake and then she gives her a kiss on her temple and then as she leaves the camera stays on reagan's face that she just kissed and then as soon as the door closes her eyes open
1: i also heard there's a version where a reagan is kind of mingling with some of the guests before she goes upstairs to go to sleep. I
0: remember that. I think that was the one that I saw in theaters then. Okay, I was going to say that it was puzzling to me that she was actually, I thought she was singing with them at one point before. So that's why I thought. Yeah,
1: I didn't see that in mine, but I don't know. I kind of like my version only because I think that would have been kind of too on the nose where it's like, look, she's fine. Now she's not. I like the fact that you just assume like, oh, you know, she's part fine now, but then you almost forget about her for a while there's this whole other subplot thing going on with um the film director burke dennings he gets a little too tipsy uh-huh. and starts continuously harassing one of chris's servants claiming he's a nazi and a spy this and that right. and so that causes some sort of scuffle in the kitchen so there's like that business going on burke is he's he's kind of like yeah whatever it's time for me to go and so you know they help him out then they all gather around the piano and they're like, all right, let's let's fucking sing a song, guys. Father Dyer's on the, the piano and, you know, he's doing his thing. Mm-hmm. And then you just kind of see like the back of Reagan's head pop in a frame and you're just like, oh, shit, I know something's about to go down right now. Mm-hmm. What what does she
0: whisper? She says something like you're, gonna die you're going to die up there,
1: die up there. Was she looking at Father Dyer when she said that or who who is she referring to? She's
0: looking off and I don't know. I was trying to think it was either Father if it was the priest or if it was um there had been another guest that was speaking of gentleman who was speaking before Father Dyer. Right. And I thought right, right. I thought did he mention flying someplace or did he mention where being up someplace, like on a building or something, or climbing a ladder? I'm mean, going to die up there. She almost like kinda of whispers it, you know, like you're gonna
1: die up there. Really eerie. They heard
0: her though, so you know, they're like, What the fuck?
1: it gets really quiet when she when she shows up of course chris sees her and like addresses her they quiet down to see what she's gonna say and that's some ominous shit, you know that comes <laughs> out of her mouth That's so atypical of her and then on top of that she urinates right on the rug so like she's standing right on the edge of the rug and just starts peeing right there chris is genuinely concerned because she's like oh my god what is going on you know she tries to make a little excuse for her and just say like reagan's been sick and You know, she she just hasn't been well. Let me go clean her up really quick. So she gives her a bath. I think the guests, you know, they kind of entertain themselves. And so she goes upstairs, gives her a bath, puts her back into bed. This is when the bed begins to shake violently with both Reagan and Chris on it. Mm -hmm. Chris hops on the bed to kind of I don't even know what she was hoping to accomplish here, but she just kind of like jumps on it. I guess you hope to, like, weigh it down, yeah, make it go away, but it's still violently rocking with both of them on it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah.
1: So it's starting to get a little more intense. Yeah, it's definitely um, been building. And we're not even getting into, like, the really crazy shit yet. <laughs> and that's why I always think it's kind of interesting is that when demons seem to, at least in a lot of movies, when they seem to possess people, it's always, like, a, a slow process. Like, it's not just, like, boom, you flip a switch. I'm kicking you out of your body and I'm in your body now. Mm-hmm. Damn. But imagine being being in your body but like in seeing what's happening but you can't do anything about it. Right. That's scary. Yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: And and also knowing that someone else is in there with you. That would be fucking exactly. terrifying.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Doing things that you didn't even know were possible and speaking other languages. I think that's probably one of the most crucial telltale signs speaking in another language that they're not even from that they never knew i mean this girl speaks all of a sudden she's speaking latin like it's not just like a party trick
1: now we learn that uh father Karis's mother passed away in the hospital after only a few days it seems
0: like right i feel like the book probably drew it out a little bit more i don't think that would have been so abrupt because it just seemed like he just saw her in the in the hospital and like a couple scenes later it's like yeah she's died she died they didn't find her for a couple of days like wait what wasn't they, Wasn't she just surrounded by people? I feel like for them to for them to have moved her within two days' time, I feel like that would have been a little too fast. Oh man, I fell for him though because Karis lost his world. Yeah, he did.
1: He didn't feel like he really had much else to like hold on to, and so yeah, he's you know he's in a rough spot. Father Joseph Dyer, um, he comes to visit him. Doesn't even he he like brings him like a little drink as well mm-hmm. that he <laughs> that he borrowed. <laughs> borrowed right exactly father joseph dyer What what's interesting about this character is that he's played by a real priest so he's played by father william o'malley whoa interesting yeah so the thing about o'malley is that i think he was the first catholic priest to portray a priest in a commercial motion picture
0: wow wow his on-screen presence is so comforting. He he really feels like such a good friend. You know, if, if if Father Karras doesn't have anybody else in the world, like this guy at the very least cares about him. And it's genuine, you know, and he's a funny guy. And he stole something for the sake of his friend, you know, to just try to be there and help him out. Be there for him, you know, support him. And, and
1: also try to take his mind off of it because he knows that, yeah. man, this is rough for anyone to lose their parent, especially someone that you're super close with. You can't help but feel bad for him because he even has that dream. And you know, he feels so helpless in his dream about his yeah. mother Yeah, in the middle of the city. And then the mother is walking up out of the subway entrance, right? And Karras is like, he's like trying to call out to her, but there's like no sound. And he's trying to run to her and he's, he's running as fast as he can. And he still doesn't make it to her in time. You know, she just starts turning around and walks back down into the subway He even gets a flash of, I don't know if this is like foreshadowing or what, but he gets a flash of that medallion that he has, the St. Joseph medallion. Oh, falling. Yeah, falling in midair. And then he also gets a flash of the demon face in his dream as well. Right. Wow. So I don't know if that was someone warning him or what, or if that was just more for the audience, but pretty interesting that they would show those.
0: Yeah. They're putting the ideas together at the very least. They're juxtaposing them, right? Jumping from one back to the other. It's like. You're now associated with this.
1: By the way, that Pazuzu face that the show just like throughout the movie, it just kind of does like a quick flash. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen Insidious, but I think the Pazuzu face is way scarier than that dumb demon makeup that they use in Insidious.
0: No, oh, I haven't seen Insidious, but yeah, the that's definitely the freakiest thing um, for sure. That statue. Oof! Yeah, that depiction is just, and I think it's also to do with the music and it's to do with the lighting, the cinematography, all of it. it is just like haunting and it's got that sound of like, of locusts, you know, Zzz, it's got like that buzz, yeah, that yeah. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you hear that buzzing and then it's, it's getting that louder ominous... and louder. Yeah, mm-hmm. it gets, it gets uncomfortably loud. Yeah, I remember being in theaters and feeling like, damn, that was a little harsh, <laughs> a little, a little treble heavy, shall we say,
1: a little sharp. <laughs> Oof! So the, now we're getting to this scene that uh, I heard a lot of people consider to be the most disturbing scene in this movie. Not even the the demonic parts, but this part with Reagan. So Reagan has been becoming more hostile, right? And so she gets taken in for more tests. It's the uh, the angiography procedure that Reagan undergoes. Um, I guess is what a lot of fans consider to be. So it's the most disturbing scene, but was also praised for being pretty true to form from my understanding. You know, they put the iodine on her neck and they put that little like needle or whatever thing in there. And Mm -hmm. all that is to do some sort of, they have to put this like liquid in there and they can take a better x-ray of what's going on in her brain, right? All the little stems and everything, the synapses.
0: Oh my gosh. So they were injecting fluid in her brain when they did that? Yeah oh my god that's my understanding oh.
1: <laughs> and of course you know that's all for nothing because the X-rays don't see shit. exactly that's that loud snapping device right it's just gah, 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 gah.
0: right right it looked painful too <laughs> it did it, it did I, that that one hit me between the eyes this time that I saw it oh my gosh my heart went out to her and I just thought dang I've, I've had an MRI done before but man that they're not nearly as loud as what it sounded like she was enduring so it's just crazy that
1: they're almost like putting Reagan through the ringer. They're just like, all right, that test was inconclusive. Let's do another test. Let's do this mm-hmm. test. Let's do that. I mean, it. you know, it's for her well-being, but also at the same time, I don't know if they're really trying to take her perspective into account. You know, she's this is a lot for a little girl to go through.
0: Oh, my gosh. Yeah. In succession as well. And they seem so matter of fact about the whole thing, too. There's like, oh, yeah, you know. We're just gonna do some more of this and that, and you could, they could, you could see the guilt on their face, like they know they don't know what the fuck they're doing, and they just want to run more tests. Oh man! So this is
1: where Reagan uh, is shown being whipped around by some sort of unseeable force. Mm. She's just like, "Mother, make you stop!" And you know, just getting like slammed down onto her bed.
0: That was jarring. I, I almost wondered when you said something about her not being harnessed in properly. I almost wondered if that was it one of the scenes, yeah. dude. Because she, she, her, it she was, was violent. It was so violent I'm looking at her neck and I'm wondering if she had whiplash from that because dude being in a car accident and having got a little bit of whiplash with that, I was going like 20 miles per hour. <laughs> I was going like 60. I was going like, watch out. I'm going like
1: 60. <laughs> You're never going to let your brother live that down.
0: <laughs> no, he loves it too. He loves that shit. It was, a, it was one of the best. That was one of the funniest moments I swear.
1: I know what you mean, though. I was thinking the same thing. Like,
0: she's getting whipped back and forth yeah. really
1: quickly. You know, that could have easily injured someone, for sure. Oh,
0: yeah. I actually was like, dang, is she okay? <laughs> I mean, because it looked like a regular, it looked like a human. It, it did not look like they put in some sort of doll, you know. What would it take for
1: you to really start coming to the conclusion that maybe Reagan might be possessed? <laughs> At this point, Chris is still is still unsure about it. She's still trusting in the doctors. The doctors think they know what's going on and shit like this is happening. The bed is shaking. She's fucking being whipped around. Obviously, she doesn't have the ability to do this to herself. So what the hell is doing this? Mm -hmm. All that wasn't enough. Her eyes go white. And then this is when she starts speaking in like a deeper voice. And she actually ends up slapping one of the doctors. The doctor was trying to like restrain her.
0: Pop. Yeah, yeah. She she cleans it. She she touches him up. She gives him a little touch up. She said, you know, <laughs> pat. Let him know. She she cleaned his clock. She got a clean hook. But then she yeah she did. But then she slaps herself on the face, and that's when her mom screams out again. At least in this version that I saw, her mom just like, what the fuck is going on? Like she's like just in desperation, screaming like, give me back my daughter. Almost like that that cry, dude. It's so it's so primordial. Any person. In the history of time seeing their daughter whether they were you know living in the time of say jesus when he was casting out demons and things like this thinking about it that way like what mom wouldn't have reacted exactly the same way like i don't know what the fuck is going on like what they were perfectly fine before and now this is happening and you know they don't have modern medicine other than to just be like what's been what's changed in her something's changed and it's yeah yeah just at her wit's end like i've science i've thrown everything at her that i could possibly do to save my daughter so did you think any of
1: these scenes were a little excessive at all? Or were you like just into it? How unsettling all this is?
0: Yeah, I would say when I saw it, I had that kind of view where, yeah, I was I was just taking it for what it was. But there were times where it was so freaky that I would remember what my dad would tell me, remember, I've met, at the beginning of this, we talked about our parents, our pops. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad when he first started having us watch scary movies one of the things he made sure to teach us to do was was to yeah he's like fucking man up and he gave us like a shot of whiskey which was (laughs) i thought was weird but you know i was like all right but oh and it burned too but anyway so yeah not really (laughs) to get my dad in trouble no (laughs) no what he taught us to do (laughs) man up. what he taught us to do was laugh at it what he said was Look, it's just an actor and this is just a the part they're playing. Remember, this is just a movie and those are actors, this is not real. And I remember just being like, Okay. That that kind of helped me to deal with it a little bit. I could always pull myself out of the narrative. So ever since I was a kid, I, I find myself sometimes doing that and I'll have to like actually fight against that and, and to enter in mm. more to be to be more freaked out. Otherwise I'm mm. constantly pulling that eject button, like, no no, I'm done. He was laughing like Christopher Lambert. <laughs> <laughs> there can be only one
1: <laughs> couldn't even get it out you have no idea how many times Cameron and I used to just say so many of those Christopher Lambert lines <laughs> the laughs there can be only one like all the Highlander lines
0: Raiden you know like we we said we said them all <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh he is the best Christopher Lambert there can be only one and that laugh <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> iconic dude iconic so distinct so good oh my gosh love highlander uh i don't know
1: if this was in the theatrical version but the crucifix scene this was in the theatrical yeah i, I yeah i saw that so it's the fuck me stabbing yourself with the crucifix and then like wiping chris's face on it as well saying lick me and, and the thing is like you're you're subjecting a little girl to act this scene out, you know? So I think a lot of it was just watching a little girl be involved in something like this. And then knowing that the actress is playing this role as well and doing these things, I think just added all to the, I don't know, like inappropriateness you feel when you watch this. A lot of the shit is still taboo today. And I don't even think anyone, no directors today have the balls to be able to try to pull off some shit like this in horror movies.
0: No, it's it's bold. It was it was a huge risk. These days, it's all cookie cutter, it seems. Except for dope movie makers. Um, Ari Aster. Uh, Ari Aster. Of course, Ari Aster, for sure. A24 movies tend to go places that normal studio studios don't go. And I, I really like a lot mm. of their stuff. It's super avant-garde. It's, uh, it's like modern Criterion Collection or something. It's the stuff that will be featured in Criterion Collection.
1: It really is just a lot of new weird concepts that they're introducing very avant-garde yeah
0: yeah exactly
1: and imagine what they would have felt like back then in the 70s when this movie came out
0: dude this was this set the tone for so many it's the og and what other movies really compare very few it all feels it all feels so formulaic you know it's the same thing I mean, this movie really is,
1: I feel like a seminal movie, a seminal horror movie, mm-hmm. because it, it was so influential for many movies and generations after this.
0: It, it, it created a whole genre and a bunch of subgenres. Before then, you think about it, I mean, you had Nosferatu, you had all sorts of specific characters, but then to go to that, that area, that realm of, uh, of the sort of spiritual, the occult and like how creepy that is, Yeah. how far you can take it. Exactly, how far you can take it with the fucking projectile vomit and everything, Ooh. But you were saying um, about that scene, about that scene, how it was um, so controversial with her stabbing herself with the crucifix.
1: If you didn't think this movie is
0: already sacrilege, I think you would have thought so after seeing that scene. Oh, big time. Reagan, she's sitting the other way and she turns her head behind her to 180 degrees. Yeah. And she starts speaking in the voice of her mom's dead director slash friend and he says you know some pretty vulgar words did you see what she did to me did you see what she did so i didn't realize that that was supposed to be burke i remember when
1: i first saw when i first saw the movie i'm like why the fuck did she just like go into a british accent all of a sudden <laughs> i'm like what voice actor did they bring in just to like dub this over? oh
0: right no i i I, told, I don't know if i paid as close attention to it before but it definitely hit me she turns her head behind her to make fun of to remind her hey this is the guy that I did this to did you see what she did she's claiming credit for it she's like oh by the way in case you had any doubts that I'm the one who's responsible for it you know and you thought he just fell and hey maybe his head got turned around by accident when he fell somehow no did you see what your daughter did to me
1: yeah that's wild right so that whole like setup for Burke's death Sharon Spencer, I think is like the assistant or something like that played by Kitty. Wynn. she reveals to Chris who comes home and from work, I guess, and reveals that, you know, I just got back myself because I went to go pick up meds. And so she was like, what the you fucking just left my daughter all by herself. And like the windows all wide open is fucking freezing in there. Sharon was like, no, no, no. I, I, I called Burke over and, and Burke said he was, you know, he was fine watching her for a bit. But the thing is, Burke's nowhere to be found. And Chris is like, well, where the fuck is he? He's gone. Apparently he just like left. <laughs> they hadn't realized that he was like already down at the bottom of the stairs. And the reason why the window's open was because Reagan fucking tossed his ass out the window.
0: Dang. To me, that makes so much more of an interesting movie, right? It's very Hitchcockian where sometimes you don't even need to see the thing. It can be alluded to, you know, without, you know, you actually having to witness this guy getting his head turned around. Like nowadays, I almost think that, studios would want to actually show it you know they'd want to have the scene they'd, you'd oh but what would it be like to actually instead of having to think about it why not just have the scene actually be real and so if we do a remake of the exorcist actually show her rip burke's head around and like toss him out the window how cool would that be and it's like not very because it just makes you so mm-hmm. it makes you lean in what it does as as a, as a um, narrative device hearing other characters speak about it I say narrative device, like, I, what the fuck does that even mean? Basically, as, as it's as it's being spoken <laughs> of by other people, it's just mm. so much more interesting to hear um, the buildup. You almost lean in like it's a secret, like it's dirty, you know, like the, the detective who, inter- who shows up at the track where... Oh, Ken- William Kinderman, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. The detective. The detective, right, how he waits for Father Damien to finish his run and then starts to, you know, kind of interrogate him.
1: Speaking about, like not showing exactly what happened, but letting you guess mm-hmm. is hereditary. <laughs> and you know what I'm talking oh about. Oh
0: my gosh, What, did, dude, the whole movie is like that. All I feel like is you look at you, you lean in and then you wish you hadn't, but then you can't help but lean in more. It's just and then you go into a free fall and then it's just like that feeling of falling, but like doesn't stop. <laughs> oh yeah. Now this for sure I
1: know was in the uh, like extended versions. The spider walk scene, <laughs> the infamous spider walk scene. Mm-hmm. Did you get to watch that one again?
0: I did. I know the past couple times I haven't seen that one I, I think it's that. I think it's the scene that only comes on that one that you're talking about.
1: Actually two. And, and the thing is, it's different in both, which is weird. Wait, what? Weird. I don't, I don't know why there's so many different versions.
0: Oh, that's right. That's what you said. That's right. Two versions. Okay.
1: So the version you've never seen, it shows the spider walk. That's shortly after Kinderman. I think he's like investigating the murder of Burke right, right? right at the bottom of the stairs. Could have just been an accident. A lot of people are saying he he was drunk and he fell down, but Kinderman's right. not buying it because it's how is your head going to turn right. 180 degrees right, right. right after he leaves? Not long after that is the spider walk scene, and yeah, straight up comes like tumbling down the stairs, and she's almost like bent over backwards, mm-hmm. and uh, she's running down the stairs that way. A lot of purists of, of this movie, the ones that like the theatrical version better because they felt that the pacing was better, they hate this scene. think it's completely unnecessary. But since this was my introduction, I still enjoy it. And I think it's, it's just iconic. Like, it's one of those scenes when you say, like, little girl spider walk, you already know what the fuck I'm talking about.
0: Yeah, yeah, I would say that I've seen both. I saw the, first, I saw the theatrical release first, and then I saw the, um, went to the movie theaters with my pops to see the the version where the spider walk happened and yeah i don't know i, I think it's I, I appreciate it when i do see it but i i i think it's it's cool even without it i think that there was some element i agree to where it does distract from the pacing or distracts in some way like it doesn't it doesn't feel like it's adding too much it's almost like for more shock value but at the same time i'm not going to deny that it doesn't feel a little empty when i don't see that version and go Fuck, I, I missed that <laughs> i missed the thing because dude that yeah. was the whole that was one of the biggest draws they they I don't know if they explicitly said that's what happened but they were like there is one scene in here that you've never seen that you're going to want to see like in theaters you have to see it and so yeah that was the big draw so my pops and i we both go to the movies and i don't know why my brother he would have normally joined us i don't know why he wasn't able to make it but i think he was out with friends but so it was just me and pops and which rarely happened again normally the three of us would go see a movie sure so we go just uh, the two of us, and uh, and as we're watching it, there comes that scene with the spider walk, and we didn't know what to expect at all.
1: It's very much one of those, holy fuck, Dude, type of we scenes. Dude, we were,
0: everybody was like holding their breath, and then she, you know, she spews the blood as she's upside down at the base of the stairs. Oh, so that is the version you saw. That's the one I saw, too. Okay, oh, okay, that's the only one. It's the I think it was the only two that I've ever seen is the theatrical where that's not in there and the vomiting of the blood, so there's no projectile blood in one of them?
1: So I heard that in, I, I believe the director, the extended director's cut, she has like a, a lizard tongue and like, I don't know, flicks her tongue or something oh, towards the camera. Okay. That's just what I heard. I, I've never seen that version either. Again, makes me wonder, why the fuck
0: are there so many damn cuts
1: of this movie? There,
0: I mean, dude, it's interesting that they they tried. I, I think that's really, really cool of them, actually. It's so iterative. They wanted to see like what is going to really resonate with folks. So they tried different things. Maybe they would have cut it out like, when you say director's cut maybe there were certain scenes he would have liked but maybe didn't test as well with audiences so they had to go with what the audience liked versus versus his version so oh i lost my train of thought just the spider walk the spider general, walk or? yeah the spider walk there there you go yeah so that scene was so jarring that after it happened after she vomits the blood and the mom starts screaming the theater lights kicked on and they turned and they and they stopped the they stopped the movie from playing for just I think it was like a solid three minutes three minutes maybe even five minutes for us to gather ourselves i can totally tell because i was going to mention this too this is also like
1: happens to be around the midway point in the Mm -hmm. movie right after that scene happens it cuts to black yes for like four seconds and then it picks up again and i'm like that must have been an intermission right there
0: it was dude it was dude people i'll never forget man people screamed everyone was looking at each other like are you fucking seeing this this is insane this is insane and i remember looking over to my dad and at this point when i saw him he was he was lower than my his head was lower than mine he was slouched in his chair and i looked over at him and he just kind of looked over at me and he's like holy shit He's like, holy shit. <laughs> and then and then they start the movie up again after the, you know, but it wasn't four seconds. Ooh,
1: this part. So after coming back from that little brief break, Chris seems to hire some sort of hypnotist to see if they can make a breakthrough. That's
0: when that happened. Okay, okay. Totally missed it then. Yeah, that never happened in mine for sure. I was like, maybe it's coming. Maybe it's going to happen. What I think is important about the scene is that you know she's
1: kind of like slouched in her chair as well and like he i think he already has her kind of hypnotized and he's saying like he wants to speak with whoever's inside that body with her and um if you remember the pazuzu statue correct yeah she is sort of resembling the statue because she's sitting there like this with her right arm elevated right like
0: it's a paw in the air Mm -hmm. like she's waving but she's got her hand formed like a claw here yeah
1: exactly how the pazuzu statue is with the left hand like hanging at the side and the right hand raised up mm-hmm. i just thought like that was so crazy to throw something like that in there just like a little subtle detail
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's how intentional they were like we're drawing a connection to that being the hypnotist soon
1: regrets his decision because once he calls out the demon she lashes out you know she grabs him by the groin oh yeah forces him to the ground and everyone has to kind of rip her off of him. yeah after all the tests and bringing all these doctors chris is getting frustrated you know she's kind of chewing these doctors out she's like i'm paying you guys all this money and you guys can't fucking figure anything out like someone has to know what's going on with my daughter you know you guys are like the most brilliant minds in science and medicine and no one can fucking figure out what's going on they kind of throw this out there like the doctors they're not really recommending it but just like a, an option right so they're saying well have you ever heard of an exorcism?" Uh-huh. There's these rituals that we don't really, we're, we're not really backing because they're not proven by science or, or medicine or anything like that. They're, they're not involved in any of that. It's outside of our realm, but if you're interested, you could go that route as well. So they just kind of throw it out there. After the crucifix scene and all that, she finally decides to reach out to someone. So she finds Father Karis. And uh, they have the little meeting around campus. She asks for it. She she requests to have this exorcism done, and you know he, he kind of dismisses that request, though, Father Karras, mm-hmm. because well, for one, he's never seen one performed. He hasn't heard of anyone performing one in probably like a century, right? At least, you know, the way he describes it is it's kind of it's kind of antiquated. It's sensationalized and it pretty much just went the way of the Dodo following advancements in medicine.
0: Which makes sense coming from a a psychiatrist, you know, him. He's not seen anything like that himself. And again, it's, it's so rare.
1: I think to him, a lot of it is it's almost like folk stories. You know, it's like I've heard of exorcisms, but come on, were they really real? I don't know. Has anyone actually performed one or seen one? No. Right. There's no tangible evidence. Right. So
0: that's super on brand then. Again, him with his crisis of faith, he's not thinking that that's real himself. So you, you could see it in him. He's just like, oh, I don't I mean, it's archaic, I guess.
1: He agrees to see Reagan, but he's like, come on. Like, if you're looking for an, an exorcism, I'm not your guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he goes and checks out Reagan back at the house. That's when he discovers that... Uh, Regan is is not some ordinary, ordinary little girl. She uh, First off, she's claiming to be the devil himself. Huh. You know, he's kind of questioning, like, is this serious? Am I being punked right now? <laughs> you're not claiming to be a demon. You're claiming to be the devil. So he's already kind of, like, skeptical about that. But then there's the projectile green vomit right in his mouth, too. <sighs> Yuck. Finally speaking in tongues. So doesn't he even ask something like can she speak any other languages or anything like that? And, she, and Chris is like, no. Mm-hmm. But you know, even after all that, Father Karras is not entirely convinced
0: <laughs> until he
1: is called over for that one more time. And that is when he sees that help me protruding from in, within the stomach, mm-hmm. right? Like under the skin, pushing up yeah. and that just freaks the fuck out of him. So that's when he's like, all right, let me see what I can do about doing this exorcism. He doesn't quite know like, what the procedure is, you know, because he's never done this before. So he brings up with his superiors. They give the okay, but they tell him that they need uh, an experienced priest to lead this because you can't just like go in blind and fumble your way through it. So you need someone experienced to be able to lead this ritual. Karis can help, of course, like you can assist, but um, you need someone that knows what they're doing. Now they summon Father Marin himself. Mm. Father Lancaster Marin from the beginning of the movie turns out to be the title character that has been missing this entire time right the exorcist he is the exorcist he arrives at the house they create that iconic and amazing visual right the silhouette Mm -hmm. the light coming out of the window that's like almost like a spotlight down onto him Mm -hmm. standing there in like the um driveway holding his suitcase and i can't stress enough how much i fucking love that visual I'm so glad that they used it for the exorcist box art, Mm -hmm. like the cover art Mm -hmm. stroke of genius. I think before they showed a demonic face of Reagan, but I don't know. I just, I like the fact that it's just so ominous, this unknown person that's standing in this driveway and like this light is shining down on him.
0: You want to know why, what this all means. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. It draws you in. And then even after, you know what it all means, it's a wink to those of you who know, and you're just like, Oh, Oh, I love
1: it so yeah, much. It's it's really good. That's some good cinematography right there.
0: Yeah. Yep. Seriously.
1: So what'd you think of uh, Marin? Like we, we're finally get to see him in action. We get to see more of him, not just digging through dirt.
0: <laughs> no, he's, um, it's comforting to have him there. I know he's very stern, but he knows, he knows what needs to be done. And he takes a very, yeah, he's confident. So his confidence, that kind of courage. I mean, just the way that he speaks to father Damien, like, there is no hesitation in his voice. There's no there's no sense of doubt. Not like what what was in Damien's voice before. And not to not to speak disparaging disparagingly of him, because he was going through his own personal hell. But you know, so he's just going through this journey and he's seeing that this man is so strong in his faith. Don't do this, do that. You know, he's giving all these directives what to do. What say this when I say this? Don't don't look at it. You know, just gotta keep keep your head down, focus on what I'm talking about. Like this is what's gonna save you, basically. Just do this and, and you'll be all right.
1: Yeah, I think one of the first things he warns Karis about is the demon will try to attack psychologically. Mm. He's just telling him be prepared for that. I think, I think he's kind of preparing himself to be attacked physically. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why you got to make sure that Reagan is restrained. But I think a lot of the things that people may overlook in something like this is the psychological attack. Mm-hmm. Um, Karis was he was he was trying to study. Reagan as much as he could before Marin got there. And he felt that it was important to to mention that he identified three foreign personalities within Reagan. But Marin quickly cuts him off and says that, No, there's only one inhabitant in there.
0: Oh, wow. So
1: I thought that was pretty interesting. Like he he's very
0: matter of fact about it. Exactly. His conviction. Mm hmm. Even though what he thought he heard, it's like, again, this this demon is mocking him thinking knowing he's gonna think he's so smart. There are multiple people in there. I'm going to mess with them. For a demon, that's a very important thing in the process of, of exorcism, is to get the demon. In order to get the demon out of the person, the demon needs to identify itself first so it can be called by name. That's important. Until the demon names itself, it's a pointless endeavor. You have to get it to name itself first. Only then can you invoke its name to be cast out. And I don't know the process after that. I mean, I, it seems that they're there for hours and whatnot, but um, of just repeating and, and having that, keeping that faith and in the in the midst of it all and not being so afraid that you falter, I guess.
1: They get dressed, they get prepped, and uh, they start the exorcism. The demon tries to intimidate Marin, but... To no effect, Marin ain't having any of it. He's just like, be silent.
0: Oh, that's right. That's right. Smashes
1: her with the holy water. Because
0: uh-huh. it's not her. He realizes it.
1: Yeah. You quickly realize that the demon isn't really getting anywhere with Marin. That's kind of a lost cause.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He uh, shifts his, his crosshairs to Karis. Karis is the weaker of the two. Mm-hmm. And the, here's what I think is is so cool. Because there's like a two different juxtapositions going on here. Physically speaking... Karis is like the stronger one. He's the younger, healthier one. Marin yeah. is like this fragile old man, you know, that comes in. But in this situation, Karis is the fragile one, right. and Marin is the strong one.
0: Because physical strength means nothing at that point, and he and you know he's prepared to take things on physically, and that's how he channels his interior struggle is physically. Right? He punches a punching bag. In in psychology, they would call that sublimation, which means it's a way of channeling it's a way of getting out that those vibrations that anger that's in you the grief that's in you and the anger at the grief and all the mixed emotions that are that are kind of mixed intermingling with you over this over this event because he doesn't really know he doesn't have that interior strength himself he hasn't really worked those muscles he tends to use again sublimation physically getting those frustrations out he is the weaker link
1: I was so intrigued by just the whole exorcism in general that was going on because the demon was trying everything. The demon was attacking Marin, was attacking Karis, and Karis was really the only one that was showing some chips in the armor.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: He even like screams at her at some point, Shut up! because that's when the demon starts like pulling out some tricks up its sleeve and. Uses the Demi nickname. Mm-hmm. Why you do this to me? Why you do this to me, Demi? And uh, the only one that ever called him that was his family. So he's just like, he's like, shut up. He's getting um, a little worked up. But it seems like the, the first go around, just like the first round of this exorcism, it seems to go successfully because at least it appeared like they were wearing down the demon. It got to the point where the demon finally like gets all quiet and like starts levitating, crucifix position, right? And then slowly lowers back to the bed and mm-hmm. they put their restraints back on and then they take a break. And it's just it's kind of interesting to think about because with such a ritual that takes a long time to do and complete, they're all gonna be different too, you know, depending on the strength mm-hmm. of the demon and also probably the strength of the host.
0: Oh, right, yeah.
1: It could be something that could take days it could be something that could take maybe a couple hours but um i i have a feeling that all exorcisms are probably just unique cases you just think of like if they're gonna do this they have to do it the entire time but no there's there's like little breaks it's almost like in warfare as well where it's like they'll take breaks at night and then resume battle the next day mm-hmm. that was something that marin understood as well was like all right so you know we won the first round Let's kind of like regroup, right. gather a strength, group, and then we'll go back in and then finish this thing, man. I love the scene. I don't think this was in the theatrical version, but I love the scene when they take their break after the, the first round of the exorcism. And they're kind of sitting on stairs, but they're facing opposite directions. So there's like the little like two steps that go down from Reagan's room. Uh-huh. They just have this quiet conversation. It, it's almost like a philosophical conversation that they're having. Karis is, is still questioning his faith, but I think he he he's almost like playing off of the strength of Marin being there as well. Like Marin is is kind of like mm-hmm. bringing him back in in a way. He asked the question like, "Why is this happening to this sweet little girl?" He just feels so bad for her. Mm-hmm. Marin just had a such a to the point, but also thought provoking answer to it, where he says that innocent people like her are chosen in order to rattle people's faiths. They prey on these sweet people and like these innocent people that don't deserve it. They want to make the people question why God would allow something terrible like this to happen to them. Mm. He's basically saying like, it's no fault of Reagan's. It's unfortunate that she was chosen for something like this. Like he's not surprised by that question because I, I have a feeling that at some point Marin also had the same question probably going into his very first exorcism right he's probably wondering the same thing and like now Mm -hmm. he's more desensitized to it in a
0: way Mm -hmm. he's got perspective he knows what it is he knows what he knows what all of this is and he doesn't take it at anything other than face value this is just it's it's saying anything it can to survive it's saying anything it can to try to get a rise out of me and he realizes i'll lose it's kind of like um what's in the box you know you don't it's better if you don't know Stick to it, stick to the stick to the program and you'll be all right. This is
1: where the big mistake happens, probably ultimately the fatal mistake. So Father Marin he takes a little bathroom break, you know, goes into the the restroom and he takes his pill because he's starting to get the shakes a little bit. And while Father Marin's doing that, Father Karras ends up going into the room and checking on Reagan by himself. When he walks in, he sees a vision of his mom, you know, his recently deceased mom, Reagan begins to speak to Karis in his mother's voice, you know, again, calling him Dimi. But I think before they they were just using the nickname. But now the voice sounds just like his mother, and is just is breaking Mm. him down, you know, chopping that at that tree, like the base of the tree, really just playing off of the guilt and the pain that he has inside. And he even snaps again, right? You're not my mother. Or, like, he's just like so fed up with this. Mm-hmm. Karras is beginning to lose his composure. Marin sees it and tells him like, you know what? Sit this one out. I got this. Like, in order to protect him, he mm. needs to remove him from the situation. In some ways, it kind of makes you question like, maybe Father Karis wasn't ready for this after all. He's not quite there yet.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I think I'd say that none of us are necessarily always ready for that next step right you gotta just step out i think he was ready as he could be but um i guess it just depends on how you look at it it seems like again if the goal is to get the demon out of of reagan then the goal is achieved perhaps he was just always meant to be because from god's if you're looking at it from like a, from god's perspective then if he knew that dame father damien would always act this way would always take things use his physicality to work through his issues then It might lead to this in the end. Not that he's been predetermined to doing this, but that it's likely he'll he'll take care of it. He'll save this girl.
1: The scene that follows that is, I think it might be my favorite scene in the entire movie. Hmm. You know, Karis is, he's in like a a weird spot because he's trying to go through with this ritual, but he also isn't a hundred percent with the belief of this faith. It's weird Hmm. because he's seeing these, these supernatural things and, science can't explain this, you know, like these are only things that he's read about, but like he hasn't actually seen until now. Also, you question your faith, you're seeing a lot of this evidence right in front of your eyes. You know, it's like even if he wasn't ready at that time, this next scene kind of changes everything. So Karis, he goes downstairs and he's just kind of sitting by himself and he's really just trying to like pull himself together because he's unraveling at the seams the helpless Chris, I think she's just kind of like hoping for the best. And she's just she's trying not to bother the priests and let them do their thing. But she notices that Karis left the exorcism, and he's just kind of sitting there by himself, not saying anything. He's just kind of has like his his uh, face in in the palms of his hands. And Chris asks if Reagan is going to die. And the reason why this is my favorite scene, it's not even that long of a scene either, probably like a couple minutes long. But there was so much that happened in the scene. So it, it was a touching moment because this was when it was finally put into perspective for Father Karras. I don't think he quite saw what was at stake here. I think in this moment, Karras regained his faith. It was this moment mm-hmm. like when she asked that question and you know, he kind of like looks at her. He was almost like, why would you think that I would let that happen? It's almost like that re-sparked that fire that was within him. So... I think mm-hmm. that, that was when he regained his faith. I think that's when he realized he still believes in Reagan who's upstairs suffering. And then I think most importantly, he now believes in himself that he can get the job done. Right. I honestly felt like Chris was kind of like losing hope. Like she was like, I don't think Reagan is going to make it out of this. And uh Karis was like, no, I'm not going to fucking let her die. Mm. So he was like, no, fuck that. I'm going to go up there take care of that fucking demon upstairs you know unfortunately i think that was a little bit too late because when he goes up there he re-enters reagan's room and father Marin is uh he's dead like you don't really know what exactly happened either it could have been his fragile health maybe it was Mm -hmm. it was something that the possessed reagan did to him man this was this was kind of crazy too because now you're kind of hit with that (laughs) that reality check that there's no one left to finish the job other than you.
0: Yeah. You're the shit. last
1: hope. So in a rage, he does what, what he uh, kind of always resorts to, right? Physical violence.
0: Right. He
1: actually grabs the possessed Reagan, tosses her on the ground, and starts just beating the shit out of her, like pummeling her. It's all, it's all kind of a, a ruse because he's daring the demon to enter Karis' body instead. Eventually, he, uh, he convinces Pazuzu to take Karis over.
0: Yeah, he peeled to his pride. Or tore it down.
1: I think through like sheer willpower, he actually overpowers the demon. I think this might be also in in uh, the extended version, but you can see his face start to transform a little bit. So his Karsa's face looks oh, like yeah. demonic, but then it like warps back to his normal self. Um, I think he's able to like repress the demon enough to hurl himself out mm-hmm. the window. So I was like a last ditch effort. Now that he has the demon with him, he uh, just dives out Mm -hmm. the window lands on the stairs tumbles to the bottom yeah yeah chris and uh detective kinderman i guess kinderman showed up um they both enter the room chris embraces the cured reagan who's back to her normal self she's no longer possessed and uh, kinderman just kind of surveys the scene and is just trying to figure out what the hell
0: happened yeah sheesh
1: two dead men i thought Karis died when he landed on the stairs but Father Dyer actually shows up. Right, right. And checks on Karras. And Karis is like barely hanging on. Like he's he's pretty much gone at this point. But um, he administers yeah, yeah. his last rites before he passes away.
0: That's right. Mm-hmm.
1: I'm not entirely sure what it is. Like what are last rites? What do they accomplish?
0: So the last rites are meant to take care of any kind of you know, if you think of about sin as being something that would keep you from getting to heaven, then it's meant to absolve you of any sins that you can possibly get rid of, anything that could keep you from heaven. And then uh, typically what's administered, although I don't think was cap- he was capable of receiving it, was uh, what's called the viaticum. And viaticum is Latin for like food for the journey. And that food for the journey would be the Holy Eucharist, would be the communion.
1: Which is what he took earlier, right? Like that's when he, he kind of cracks the, the little like chip in half.
0: Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah, yeah. So so that's typically part of the rite, um, unless the person is incapable of receiving Ooh. viaticum. Then it's, then it's the last rites. Basically, it's like a, it can be a, it can be like a confession, a general confession where the person just confesses if they're capable of it. If they can't confess, like, I don't know if he was capable of confessing. I mean, the guy's next practically, I mean, he's he's broken. He's not going to say anything. So it's assumed that whatever the priest says at that point will absolve him of the sins that he's, you know, is incapable of. Of. of I think know, he was almost
1: answering anything. with like squeezing his hand when he was uh, asking those questions. But it's That's just right. like, man, at this point, I don't even know if like you're in the right state of mind to be able to understand these questions.
0: Mm hmm. Maybe, but maybe you're so acutely aware, maybe because the pain, you know, alone, the adrenaline, uh, then again, I don't know what what, injuries to his head. There's all sorts of stuff, but yeah, you're right. I think it's to show that he's lucid, the squeezing of the hand. You don't squeeze unless you're, you know, he was squeezing very intentionally. It wasn't like it was sporadic. Like he just, his muscles were caught. It was like, it was very intentional as if to show like, Hey, I am using my free will. I agree to all this, you know, so on and so forth. Yeah, so um,
1: shortly after the last rites, Father Karras passes away. We're brought to the next day where uh, this is pretty much the end of the movie now. So the McNeils are, they're packing their bags. They're getting the fuck out of that house. <laughs> and I'll blame them. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. So
1: now that Reagan seems to be back to her normal self. And, and also it's kind of interesting because um, she doesn't remember anything. She doesn't remember at all what happened. Kind of a cool scene because Father Dyer stops by to check in and you know just say goodbye to him. Reagan, she doesn't understand why, but when she sees that clerical collar on Dyer, it like kind of like focuses on that. She feels compelled to give him a kiss on the cheek. She doesn't quite understand it, but she just felt like it was right, and it, it was mm-hmm. kind of like a thank you for saving my life.
0: Right, right.
1: And as the McNeils, uh begin driving away. Chris remembers to give Father Dyer the St. Joseph medallion that was ripped from, uh, that was found in Reagan's room, but it was ripped from Father Karras' neck. So as he was pummeling Reagan, you know, trying oh, to get the demon, right. demon to come out of her, she she actually pulls on the the medallion and rips it off. And that's what he saw in his dream, right? Almost like premonition. Mm-hmm. Right, it falling. That was almost like shedding him of his protective armor because I felt like that medallion in a way was protecting him. And then when it was ripped off he was more vulnerable his achilles right and i think this is also where there's a big difference in our versions from my understanding when chris gives the medallion to father dyer he he keeps it then he walks over to the stairs looks down and then walks away and that's the end of the movie in my version dyer actually hands the medallion back to chris so he believes that they would benefit more from having it themselves almost as like a way of protecting them
0: that makes more sense yeah yeah they
1: drive away reagan as they're driving away she turns around and waves goodbye father dyer waves back at her and then that's when he goes to the stairs and looks down i think just kind of processing everything you know there there's a yeah, lot of shit that yeah. was going on he gives it like one last look and then as he's walking away he notices that lieutenant Kinderman shows up Dyer explains to Kinderman that, oh, you just missed them, you know, they just left. And uh, wasn't sure what this was about, like, why end it like this. But um, Kinderman asks Dyer if he's interested in seeing a movie. I guess they're going to go see a movie later or something. So it was, it was kind of like the same thing that he had done with Karis earlier. From what I heard, they wanted to end it that way just to not be so depressing they wanted to end on a little bit of a higher note than just mm-hmm. him looking down the stairs and then walking away
0: right right yeah that, that's more of a downer but yeah it's a show to show that um that little bit of that taste of humanity from a detective who probably doesn't have a lot of friends if any uh and and so to be with somebody to hang out with somebody who also deals with extreme situations themselves or has been through some some shit himself you know seeing the underside the underbelly so to speak of right society some darkness it's like hey you can hang Yep. Yeah. and then of course mm-hmm. oh,
1: that fucking exorcist theme man dude it's so eerie it's been playing befitting
0: yeah it's playing and it's been playing in my head like the last 45 minutes as we've been talking it's, <laughs> it's still there yeah iconic yeah
1: freaking love that theme dude like that theme is so, yeah. good. It's so no, good it's so good and it's so fitting of the movie you know it's mm-hmm. it all just works so well together in this movie to have that iconic theme to go along with this iconic story
0: yeah yeah. the performances
1: that is a wrap on The Exorcist if you made it to the end of our podcast then you get some of that tasty green vomit shot in your mouth
0: ooh nom 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 nom. nom. <laughs>
1: Uh, any final thoughts or closing comments?
0: Um, That that's uh, that one always gets me.
1: Having seen this movie multiple times, it's still creepy as fuck. And in my yes. opinion, way scarier and way more well thought out than modern horror movies. It's a classic, man.
0: Very much so. Yeah, very still much so. Still putting movies to shame. Right? It's funny how, how that saying is so true. You, they don't make them like they used to. <laughs> they don't make them like they used to.
1: And uh yeah, I mean, I just really enjoyed the the gradual descent of Reagan throughout the movie. It was a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. You just knew it was going to get worse and worse and worse and oh, man. It, it was a blast to watch again.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. She I'm so taken by how endearing her performances um from you know, that first scene when she's just talking about wanting to have a horse. She has this real sweet smile on and she's talking to the assistant and assistant's off camera and this just reading mm. her as an actress still whole staying in, in character as she's talking with the assistant. Yeah, we we got to he let me ride the horse all day and da da da, da and mm. mom, can we get a horse? Just that whole sweetness and then um and then to see the whoa, just the complete opposite of that. You know the cursing, I mean, just the the foul foul mouth coming out of the sweet little girl, or foul words, I should say, coming out of the sweet little girl, and her (laughs) uh, her, just the yeah, the blood, the stabbing, the all of it is just wow. The range that this little girl had to go through in that performance—it's a hell of a performance. And the sad thing too is, I feel like
1: trying to continue your acting career after a movie like this is going to be super tough. Yeah.
0: You're so typecast. It's a blessing and a curse. You know, you you hit one out the park, you hit your first one out the park likely. Yeah. But, uh, but sadly, you will just, you'll carry, you'll be known as that girl for the rest of your life. What does that even mean? Is that a good thing? Is it a bad thing? I think it's up to the person, but, but you'll always carry that with you. Just kind of like, uh, I don't know. I think of Matthew Lillard and I think of Skeet Ulrich. And I think those two specifically, I'm like, yeah, them, Jamie Kennedy, (laughs) you think scream
1: stabbed me, man. You you
0: stabbed me, man.
1: Well, are you uh, watching anything lately? Film TV.
0: Yeah, what have I been watching lately? Gosh, I <laughs> for for shits and giggles, I just jumped back into Ted Lasso uh, yesterday. I believe it was. You have you watched any? Te- oh, that's right, Apple TV. No,
1: I don't think we have it right now. Okay, might might pick it up again when Severance season two comes back. Oh,
0: that's what I was going to talk about. Yeah, Severance, you guys. You sent me on that 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 down that rabbit hole holy moly i think i'm on the third episode now i fi- I finished the third episode nice my goodness dude that that show is so engaging I, you, you, every episode ends in a way that you just want to immediately binge watch <laughs> You just want to mm-hmm. watch the next episode Yep. it's like just when it's starting to get good
1: again it's like starting to pick up you're like oh motherfuckers. Yep.
0: Yep, <laughs> yep. oh man and i just love patricia arquette she's so freaking she's still so, so damn beautiful i always think of you ever seen uh what was it true love true romance true romance with christian slater Mm -mm, oh shit we got to cover that movie sometime dude that's her in her prime christian slater's in his prime it's a tarantino flick uh i don't think he directed it but he i think he wrote the screenplay for it and Mm. it's got you know dennis hopper in it christopher walken mentioned christian slater of course um and patricia arquette and uh gosh a few others that just have amazing performances oh wow okay true romance
1: uh, I mean, I haven't been really watching a ton. Um, I did start picking up some weird uh, short films on YouTube lately. I recently discovered that there's like a bunch of these short horror movies that you can watch and they're only like 20 minutes long and they're pretty fucking good. Oh, well, like roughly like 20, 30 minutes, but there's one called Ignore It, which is creepy as shit. Oof. Like there's like some sort of like weird goblin lady thing that like lives in the house or like follows his oh, family oh hell and no you're, you're just supposed to like not look at it and pretend like it's not there and it won't it can't hurt you i guess but what? if you look at it then it can kill you what the hell yeah
0: that's awful yeah pretty
1: wild there's this other one which is a dark comedy called finley and it's about this um puppet ventriloquist puppet that is discovered up in the attic of this house What? This thing is like chained and like nailed shut, and so they, of course, take all that off, and they, they notice this puppet inside, creepy looking puppet. It comes to life. So I just leave it at that. If you if you've read Goosebumps, it's
0: kind of like uh, yeah. that one star. I forgot what it's called. Yeah, I forgot his name. Yeah, the little dude. I mean, he became so iconic. He is just. I think that was one of the scariest ones, and so yeah, he became associated with all things Goosebumps. <laughs> Goosebumps. Oh, not to mention. I also saw Oppenheimer. Oh, yeah. Damn. Uh, you still haven't seen it I... yet, so I'm not going to
1: spoil anything.
0: Can't wait. I really can't wait, dude. I really wanted to go this past weekend. but I will just say it is a Christopher Nolan movie, so you can't go wrong with that. You really can't, dude. Our first one. Come on. To this day, I still feel heartbroken. Honestly, I think of that that moment um, at the very end when it's the very beginning. <laughs> for which one? For, for Tenet. Sorry. Oh, Tenet. Mm-hmm. It was like good and heartbreaking. And anyway,
1: Affliction Nautilus is available wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop on the first Saturday of each month, 5 a.m. Pacific. If you enjoy our content, give us a like a thumbs up and don't forget to subscribe. As always, thank you to the listeners out there for joining Michael Pazuzu and I. This... <laughs> oh, I was going to see if you were going to pick that up. <laughs> This has been Affliction Hour's podcast, episode 29, The Exorcist.
0: And we will see you all in hell. Let <laughs> on the men,
1: I know that the, the audience members won't be able to see it, but when we jump into our chat, we can kind of uh, add a little name or whatever to ourselves. So what is spinach rebound? I, I noticed that <laughs> you gave that to yourself. <laughs>
0: spinach rebound. Oh, you know? oh my gosh. That's so funny. I did. I was, I just put it in there and I, I was like, I don't know if he'll bring it up. That's funny. Spinach re spinach rebound. Um, That was a name that um, if if my if the homie Brandon, a high school, my one of my closest high school friends, I think maybe my only one of my one of my only high school friends. You know, our friends group shrinks, right? And then as as things go, I do I do have like a handful, but he's the one I stay in touch with most. And anyway, uh, we we were the ones who went to the art institute together, and uh, we were really close our senior year. Yeah, so we're driving around in his car, and I think we were I think we were actually going to the art institute. Institute at the time, and I don't know for what the fuck his reason was for giving me this name, but he just said it, and I I, I, I loved it so much. I was like, that is the fucking most random shit. Like spinach rebound. Oh, because I think what we were thinking of. We used to play a lot of Halo back then, and uh and I think we, we used to think of like just funny like uh uh screen names. Yeah, gamer funny, tags. Also like like cool gamer tags. There you go. That's that's more more what we were just, that's more like what I wanted to say. Yeah, gamer tags um so like these gamer tags yeah spinach rebound (laughs) you
1: know what's gonna happen you're gonna start like a youtube channel and that's gonna be your (laughs) persona he's like hey what's up guys spinach (laughs) rebound here smash that like button (laughs) (laughs)
0: wouldn't that be ironic oh that'd be so funny all those years ago to like just remember this you know what's funny dude i just pulled that off the top of my head